Before I get into the message this morning, I want to ask them if they put the verse on the screen. I know Chad prayed over this, this over a Second Chronicles 7.14. And I want to ask you as, just as a church, if we, we could read this together this morning. All right, Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. I just want to ask you for a moment, just, if you want to come and pray, I just want to open up the sanctuary for prayer right now. If you want to just come to the altar, would you just come and let's, let's have a moment of prayer over our country. Let's have a moment of prayer over our own lives. Right now, if you just come, meet me down here and just impress this morning that our country needs prayer, doesn't it? And we are in a pivotal crossroads of our country of wanting to cry out to God and seek God and seek his face and in the, in the spirit of humility. And so some of you can't come forward. I understand that. If you want to just right where you're at, pray. But I just want to, I just want to give us a moment as a church to be quiet God, we come before you today as individuals, as a church, and representing a nation, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would heal, forgive, restore, Lord, that we, again, as, as individuals first, as a church, and then as collective country, Lord, we we seek your face. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us. Lord, we want to thank you for the freedoms we have as a country. Lord, to acknowledge today that over half of the world currently does not live in freedom. That much of the world, Lord, cannot gather publicly and proclaim the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that as we celebrate that we can, 
Lord, that it would challenge us to do more for the gospel, for the sake of Jesus. It says, in his powerful and precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you. May be seated, or you're welcome to stay and pray as long as you want, honestly. God is good, and all the time. Appreciate you being here today. If you don't know, I am uh, John, and I get to serve as the pastor here, and um, I'm excited about the indoor picnic now. I mean, didn't Chad and Stephanie do a great job uh, encouraging us? Yeah, you can give them the hand. That's all right. And, uh, you know, this week, I, uh, as sometimes I do, I just post something on Facebook to see what kind of response I might get. And uh, sometimes I use whoever responds and uh, as kind of guinea pigs to figure out, you know, what we're thinking collectively. And sometimes it's kind of dangerous to do that, right? Uh, it's a little dangerous to put some things on, open-ended questions on Facebook. But I asked the question uh, and asked for a one-word answer. The question was, culture in the world today is dot, dot, dot. And over 150 responses to that question. And last time I looked in depth was one positive statement. As a culture, our country is, and you could fill in your own word, right? And again, 99% was negative. And, and they're not wrong. Like I could, every word that was typed out, I could, I could probably agree with. I'm not going to say every because maybe there's someone added one since I've looked, but mostly I, I would agree with them. The one word that was typed out that was positive, I don't actually think is a word, but it was the word savable. That our country is, maybe we could say redeemable. Would you agree with that word? Now, I understand, like, my first thought of our culture is, is probably like most of yours. In fact, if I were to go back and, and really study every person that responded, the biggest, most, you know, by far the highest percentage of people would be people represent, that would represent Hallmark or another church of like faith, like, you know, believers, followers of Jesus, and I just find it interesting that the, the first response or the only response that we gave was a, was a negative response. And again, I, I'm not arguing that that's wrong. Like all the words are, yeah, we're deceived was one of the words. We're confused. You know, you could, you probably have 10 more words you could come up with. But should the negative perception or reality of our culture drive how we impact or how we are influenced or how we engage our culture? And I think the negative response, which, and I'm not, I mean, I'm pointing the finger at me as well, kind of is maybe um, a cause and effect. So as a church, and, and I'm saying church in general, we have a tendency as followers of Christ to gather and protect. And we gather inside the four walls 
of a building, and we sit and think, wow, look. Yeah, I can remember for a long time hearing, man, our country's going to hell in a handbasket. Anybody know that statement? Sorry, kids. Preacher just cussed in church, but... But is it possible that, well, let me ask, so I, I asked a follow-up question, and the question was this, who's to blame for that? Now, in the, on the Facebook post, I just put two responses, two options, that it's either culture or church. You know, I think you could throw a lot more in there, you know, whether that's Satan, and then that's culture, and, and that's church, and that's society. You know, there's a lot of potential um, players in, you know, making a collective culture. And obviously, if you go back far enough, it's, it's a sin issue, right? It's a sin issue. So we can probably all agree that Satan plays a big part in that. But when I think about the church, the church should impact culture. The church should influence culture. But what has happened in, a, in America and in a lot of countries is that culture has influenced church. Do you agree with that? Thank you, Paxton. I appreciate it. So what are we going to do about that? So, you know, in my opinion, obviously it's a sin issue, but I think we collectively as followers of Jesus, the church, have a lot to be blamed for. And as, you know, two weeks ago we looked in Revelation and chapter 2 and 3 and the churches and the, the Laodicean church, they, they were neither hot nor were they cold. And God says, I wish you were one or the other. And, and again, we talked about this, that if, at least for me growing up, I always had an idea that um, hot is what was desired and cold was not what was desired. But that's not what the scripture says. God says, I want you to be cold or hot, and really he wants you to be both. Because in the context of Laodicea, remember we talked about that there was no good water source in Laodicea, and they had to go 10 miles one way to get hot water and hot water would represent healing. Then they had to go seven miles in another direction for the cold springs. And either way they went to go get hot water to bring back to Laodicea. By the time they got to Laodicea, the water was no longer hot and healing. It was lukewarm, good for nothing, and it made God sick. That's the imagery. The same with the refreshing water that should be refreshing, should bring life. By the time it got to Laodicea, it was now lukewarm and of no value, no good. And what God wants us as a church to be is cold, refreshing, bring life, influence our culture. He wants us to, to be hot springs that we can bring healing to those who are hurting. And again, what's natural is, just think of, say, an aqueduct bringing these hot waters, cold waters to lay out. See, the natural response of water flowing is, the cold water is going to get warmer. The hot water is going to get what? You can say it. It's going to get colder. That's the way it is. Unless you're in the Texas heat, then it may get hotter, right? It's natural to go lukewarm. And, and probably we could agree in our own life. You, you, if you were honest with yourself this morning in your own life, you see, we never drift toward holiness. We never drift toward godliness. We're always going to drift toward being lukewarm. 
And maybe the church has become lukewarm. The church of America has become lukewarm. Now, we quoted this verse, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and I've got two, I know it's family worship today, and so I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm thankful for all of our volunteers. I'm thankful for Allison, our children's director, who don't just babysit our kids on Sunday. They teach them the word. Uh, they, they sing worship just like we do. They worship. They take, you know, all the things we do in here, they do on a small scale. I'm thankful for that. I'm also thankful that Every once in a while, we bring our, our kids in so they can be with mom and dad. Because the reality is, here, here's, uh, I don't have time to get into all the statistics, but uh, do you realize mom and dad, no matter what you actually think, that you, mom and dad, still have the greatest influence on your kids of anyone or anything? I know maybe we don't feel that, but that, that's the truth. And I believe one of the greatest things that your kids can see you do is sit in a worship service and authentically praise Jesus. And to open up your Bible or your iPad or your phone and highlight in your Bible 2 Chronicles 7.14 for your kids to see you model faith. So I'm thankful that we get to have family worship today. And so today we've got two of our, our kids, Reese and Reed. If Reese and Reed, yeah, you guys can give him a hand. If you can come up here. And Campbell, I'm using mic 10, actually. Uh, so sorry I threw a little loop for you there. Uh, testing one, two. Give her a second. All right. I think we got it. You guys doing good? Yeah? Reed, do you know if you're good or not? You don't know. Should we ask your mom? Grandpa? Who, who would know? God knows. Mm. Well, we know your grandpa don't know. So that's an answer from a preacher's kid. Oh, Jesus, God. All right, but it's a good answer. I like it. All right, so I've asked them if they would come up and, and uh, quote for us Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, and I don't think this mic is on. All right. I need to unmute it, Justine. Thank you. I'm done. Hey, Hey, Reed, if I were to walk off the stage right now, could you finish the message? Like, I'll, I've got my iPad. You could read it. It's up there. Oh, you could, yeah, up there. <laughs> you're not supposed to tell my secrets. So you're going to finish? You can do it? All right. How many of you want Reed to finish this out? All right. You never know what's going to happen when you get kids up here, right? Or me up here, for that matter. All right. Who wants to go first? Me. Reese wants to go first. L ladies first, correct? All right, so you want to hold it? I'm going to hold it. That way I, you can say it good and loud. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Good job, Reese. All right, Reed, you can stay up here. Uh, you, you need to stay up here in case he messes up. You may have to help him, all right? You ready for this, Reed? Oh, yeah, you're looking now. I gotta, I'm gonna hold it. There you go. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. 
his word, call by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Second Chronicles 10, 14. Very good, Reed and Reese. All right, high five. You guys can go back to your seat. I really don't trust Reed to take over the message for us, so too much of his mom in him, so. Isn't it awesome to hear kids quote scripture? It's awesome to hear adults quote scripture too. What did David say? Thy words have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed is the man who meditates on the word day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters. And you, you can't meditate on what you don't know. So memorizing scripture is important. Um, thank you, Reese and Reed. When I think about that verse... The question comes to my mind, is that verse for America? Was 2 Chronicles 7.14 written for the United States of America? All right. Hold that thought. Let me, let me share because I'm going to agree with every negative thing on Facebook about our culture. We are at a crossroads. But the reality is, there's nothing in the Bible that promises things are going to get better. Welcome to Hallmark today, right? <laughs> there's no promise in Scripture of another great revival until the tribulation period. That doesn't mean there won't be one. There's just not a promise of one. And we read, you know, we've been walking through Revelation, and the purpose of Revelation, one of the purposes was to encourage the church that in difficulty, when culture is in chaos, the cross still stands for freedom, right? Yeah. And that, as I said last week, I, I love and I'm thankful and I'm blessed to be an American. But before I wave the American flag, I want to wave the banner of Jesus. And if me waving the American flag ever gets in the way of me waving the flag of Jesus, guess which, guess which flag I'm going to wave? I'm thankful that right now I can do both. Isn't that a blessing? 54% of the world today do, does not have freedom. 40% that does, not all of them have as much freedom and expression of religion as we do. And so I'm thankful for that. And the reason that America is the way it is, is I just want to read a few quotes because in our culture today, there, there's a, a movement to make us think we're not what we think we are. So let, let's kind of do some history about America. I have always believed, this is from Ronald Reagan, I have always believed that this anointed land was set apart in an uncommon way, that a divine plan placed this great continent here between the oceans to be found by people from every corner of the earth who had a special love of faith and freedom. David Jeremiah writes in the, in the book, What in the World is Going On? He says, the journal 
the journal from the first voyage of Columbus shows that the primary purpose of the explorations was to take the message of salvation through Jesus Christ to the people in an unknown land. President George Washington said, No people can be found to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand, speaking of God, which conducts the affairs of man more than that of the United States. I, I believe that. So it makes me ask the question, we sing the song, God Bless America. Do you believe that God has blessed America? You don't sound so convinced. I thought I'd get a little more out of you than that. Do you believe God has blessed America? Yes. And I believe he has. And, and I want to give you three reasons why I think God has blessed America. Number one is this. And at the end of these three things, it's going to be one screen that has all three points up there. And you can take a picture of it. I mean, it may be easier if, you want to, if you're taking notes. Did you know that 75% of all the missionaries in the world come from America? 75%. America only boasts of 5% of the world's population, but three-fourths of missionaries are from America. You see, I believe that God blesses those who make God's priority their priority. And God is a missional God. God sent Jonah. God sent Moses. God sent Jesus. Because God has been on a mission to rescue and to redeem us to himself. And when we join the mission of God to make known the glory of Jesus, God will bless that. And as a country, to this point, we've done that. And I'm thankful for that. The, the second reason America has been a friend to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 when God came to Abram, he said, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. Again, this is the promise of the nation of Israel. And in verse number three, he says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That last statement really is a prophecy of Jesus. But what he's saying here is that if a country, an individual, will bless the nation, protect the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, that he will bless them. And I'm thankful for most of our history we have stood with God's people. The third one is I believe America was founded on God and his word. In spite of what maybe a rewriting of our history might say. Here's what George Washington said. It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Do you agree to that? Now, again, a quote from these men, and these men had some, some of them had some pretty big blind spots. Okay? Let's not gloss over that. There were some big blind spots in our country. Do you, do you agree with that? Like not everything we did was right. But as a foundation of our country, we tried to do what was right according to God's word. Okay, so I don't, want, I don't want to just pretend like we were perfect. Okay, we have a lot of blind spots. We have a lot of things that, I'm, that we should be ashamed of as a country. 
President Abraham Lincoln said this, God is my witness, that is my constant anxiety and prayer that both myself and this nation should be on the Lord's side. Woodrow Wilson, the Bible is the one supreme source of revelation, of meaning of life, the nature of God and the spiritual nature and needs of men. It is the only guide of life which really leads the spirit in the way of peace and salvation. America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness, which are derived from the revelation of Holy Scripture. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? Calvin Coolidge said this, the foundation of our society and our government rests so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. I'm thankful that our country was founded on the principles found in God's word. But I think most of us would agree that maybe there has been a shift. Maybe shift is putting it lightly, right? To to turn away from God and his word. Which then makes me think, makes me beg the question, like 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves. Does that apply to us as a country? Did God say that about the United States of America? So, let let me summarize this before we get into this question. Why has God blessed America? I think three easy statements. Because we've proclaimed the gospel of God, because we've protected the people of God, and we've prioritized living the word of God. So, 2 Chronicles 7.14, the reality is this, this statement, again, when you think about interpreting Scripture, context is always king. What's the context? What, is, what do the verses around this verse say? What does the chapter around this say in the context of the entire Scripture? Historically, what, what, what was meant to be said? There's, there's always one interpretation of a verse of Scripture, Okay. You can't have your own interpretation. There's one interpretation that God intended, and oftentimes there's multiple applications of that interpretation. Okay? So when we think about the interpretation of this verse, is this verse, is God obligated because of this verse, if we pray, to heal and forgive? Well, let's look at the context. Look at 2 Chronicles 7, 12 through 14. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. So, God comes to Solomon. The previous chapters, the, the, the temple has been built. Solomon, the king, basically prays a prayer of dedication over the building and really asks the question, God, would you bless us? That's the context. God is coming to him in verse 12 to answer his prayer. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. All right, so we're talking specifically about the temple that's just been dedicated. Verse 13, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. And here we get to the verse 14, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn their wicked ways and then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Skip down to verse number 19. 
Second Chronicles 7, verse 19. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land, which I have given them. And this house, which I have sanctified for my name, again, speaking to the temple, that Solomon had just prayed over of dedication, I will cast out my sight and I will make it a proverb and byword among all the peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by, it will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will answer, because the nation of Israel, they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. And when God answered Solomon, Solomon knew that God's answer was in direct response to Deuteronomy chapter 28. You can take time to read it, but we, we won't take time this morning. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 2, we see that God makes a covenant with his people, the nation of Israel, and he says, if you will obey, I will bless. I'm, I'm summarizing. Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 2 and following. Then verse number 15. Again, take time to read it this week. In verse 15 of Deuteronomy chapter 28, then God says, but if you don't obey me, I'm going to curse you. And so in this response, God is telling Solomon, remember the covenant I made with the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 28. The covenant is still for the nation of Israel. If you live in obedience, blessing. If you live in disobedience, cursing. And Solomon then, I'm sure, gulps like, oh. And if you read the book of Judges, you see what is known as the cycle of the judges, and you see this pattern of blessing and cursing. <laughs> repentance, forgiveness, that scared me, uh, repentance, <laughs> forgiveness, over and over again, right? If you've studied the Old Testament, you know that. The nation of Israel they, they follow other gods, and when they follow other gods, God brings cursing, and oftentimes God used heathen, pagan nations to punish his nation, the people of God, and he always, listen, God always punished them, and the goal was never just punishment, it was always to get them to repentance. And when they would finally repent, what would God do? Exactly what he said, what we read in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If they would humble themselves and pray and repent and turn and seek God's face, then he would forgive them. And you see it over and over again in the Old Testament that that pattern happened and God would rescue them, God would redeem them. And maybe that lasts a few years and then, we'll, then what would the nation of Israel do? Go back to live in disobedience and following other gods, and God would come in and judge them and the cycle of the judges over and over again. But we can't forget, we can't pass by that God's judgment to the nation of Israel was always to get them to a point of repentance so that he could bless them and live in relationship with them. So the reality is, this verse is tied to the covenant that God made with the nation of Israel. He didn't, this was not written for the United States of America. But what, so what does that mean for us? Should we not pray it? What do you say? What it, what it points to us, I want you to think of those 
those words, Second Chronicles 7.14. In fact, let's put it back up on the screen this morning. There's, there's four key words that are in this verse that I want you to think about. The first one, and again, you may want to highlight this, is the word humble, humility. If my people will humble themselves. The next key word is pray. Right? Because prayer is acknowledging your dependence on God. Humble, pray. The next word is seek. Humble, pray, seek my face. All right? And the next key word is turn. These four words, humble, pray, seek, turn, can be summarized really in one word. Repentance. Repentance. And what this verse, the, the, it, it reveals the heart of God to us. That it's not just a promise for the nation of Israel, but we see all throughout Scripture, this is a promise to you as an individual. That if you, like I can't be responsible, I can't even, the truth is, I can't even be responsible for all you guys. And who wants to, right? My responsibility is to teach you truth. It's your responsibility to respond to it. But if you, so it's, here's what I know is easy as a follower of Jesus in a church. It's easy for me to say, wow, the culture has gone to, you know what, in a handbasket, right? That's easy because I can point out all kinds of their sins It's easy for me to call out other people's sins and become calloused about my own sins and to be casual, to be lukewarm. Because on the scale of good and bad that we have on sins, mine, I mean, I think, mine are not quite as bad as maybe those people's out there. Do you ever feel that? Nobody wants to say yes, but hey, you do. So, I mean, I believe if the nation, if our nation would turn back to God because God is merciful and gracious and long-suffering and not willing that any should perish but that all would come to repentance, I do believe that God would heal us. God would forgive us. But where does it start? Let me give you a clue. Okay, breathe deeply. It's not going to start in Washington. I know you're shocked by that. If your hope is in a political party, you're hopeless. If your hope is in the United States of America, you're hopeless. If your hope is in Jesus, Jesus is our only hope. So let's, let's just, let's look inward today. I'm so thankful that I live in this country. I'm thankful for the men and women who sacrificed everything for our freedoms. Because there, as I said before, there's, uh, there's people all over the world that they can't stand up on a, on a stage like this and proclaim Jesus. And, and shame on us 
us for making secondary issues what people hear from us. What, what people need to hear from you as a father of Jesus is that Jesus loves them and there's freedom in Christ. There's conversations after that, for sure. There's growth after that that's needed. But if your hope, listen, if, if today you have never placed your hope for eternity in the cross of Jesus Christ, can I encourage you to do that today? Cry out to Jesus. He will save you and he will forgive you. He will redeem you. He will restore you. He will give you eternal life. And that's worth celebrating. So, in conclusion, let's go back to those three things. God has blessed America for these three things, right? Because we proclaim the name of God. So, doesn't it seem logical that if we want the blessings of God, that we be on mission with God? It should be obvious, right? Let's shake our head. That we're going to protect the people of God. And that we're going to prioritize living the word of God. If you and I would do these three things, then collectively our church would do these three things. And eventually our country could do these three things. Let's not expect them, whoever them is, to do what we're not doing. Let's shine the light of Jesus. Do you want to do that? Five of you do. Do you want to do that? Yes. I do. Before, before we close in prayer this morning... The truth is, I've had so many comments about last week and read a lot, thought a lot, that I know in this room this morning, there are people that are hurting. Guilt, shame, struggle, loss. And if that's you, I want you to know this is a safe place to tell people about it. You'll see around the room this morning several people wearing a gray shirt with a, a green like leaf on it that says regeneration. If you're hurting today, go talk to one of them. They would love, they would love to share Jesus with you. They would love to give you hope in the hurt or the hang-ups or the loss you might be facing. And, and don't you want this church to be a safe place for people to find Jesus? I do. Would you stand with me as, as we pray? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for grace. I thank you for mercy. Lord, I thank you that you are a gracious, good, merciful, long-suffering God. That you are doing everything you can to pursue us. I pray that each of us in this room today, we would humble ourselves. 
we would seek you, we would pray, we would turn back to you. Lord, may we live a lifestyle of confession. And may we, may we proclaim the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask you again this morning as we sing, if, if you would like to come to the altar and pray, the altar is always open. If you need to just sit where you're at and pray, let's worship the Lord today together.